James chapter 1, verses uh, 19 through 25. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray. Father, we pray your blessing upon the reading and preaching of the word this morning. We pray that you would bless it in a supernatural way, as you've promised. You've promised your word is not ineffectual. It is effectual. And you've promised to attend your word, such that when your word is preached faithfully and read faithfully, you're there. Lord, thank you that we don't have to read in some dynamic way that even when preaching, in the foolishness of preaching, the wisdom of God is displayed. And so we give thanks in Jesus' name. Display your wisdom. Amen. When we lived in the Berkshires, my wife and uh, children and I, we had a a garden. And years ago, when I was a boy, I had a garden in my father's yard. And... um, there's funny thing about gardens. When you have a garden, it always grows after the rain. And so you come to a garden after the rain and you'll see a lot of green things. The trouble is that a lot of those green things will not be your fruit bearing produce um, uh, or, 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 or plants. They will be weeds because weeds grow the fastest and weeds grow prolifically and they're, unless, un, unless they're uh, pulled out of the ground, uh, they're prolific growers. And so one time the children and I went to the, our community garden there down the street on William Street, and we drove up to the gate and we saw our little patch in the garden was especially green. It seemed greener than most others. The problem was we hadn't been there in a week, and so the weeds had really grown So it wasn't that we were really good gardeners. It was that we were very bad gardeners whose weeds had taken over. And so we spent the next hour weeding our garden. James wants us to look carefully over the garden, as it were, of our lives, and to make certain that always, continually, till the day that we die, we are looking for weeds, cleaning the edges, doing all that we can to make uh, the work that God has begun Uh, and that we are to take and put our hand on the tiller of and do uh, as it regards the totality of our lives. Uh, James James tells us that there is a process that has begun. Uh, He has referred to us as the first fruits amongst God's creatures. And so he's, he's spoken about this language of planting, of growth, of birth, uh, and eventually of, of death too, Uh, the death that comes about by the embrace of sin, carried away by our own lust. Well, he also, not only does that have implications for our dealing with temptation, that it springs forth and comes to life, and then it's nurtured and it grows, and eventually it leads to death, and we need to weed it out and kill it, to kill sin before it kills us. But at the same time, we are to grow in the things which are good that God has implanted within us. We are to grow in the Christian life. We are to be eagerly engaged in that that daily conflict of dealing with weeds, growing in righteousness. And so he he desires, James does, he teaches us that we must desire productivity in the Christian life as we deal with, in context, temptations and trials. He said about trials that we should consider it all joy. Well, how do we do that? Well, we are to 
inculcate the word of life, uh, the word of God throughout our lives. And as we do so, the word will grow and be blessed. And so in all of this, we have tasks that we are to perform as Christian people. We are not inactive. We just simply await uh, the moment for God to work in our lives and God will bring it all about. Uh, He actually is saying, look, Christian, God is at work in you to do and to will his good pleasure. However, he has also given you a privilege, and that is to put your hand on the plow, too, and to get to work. He gives us the key, James does this morning, of productivity in the Christian life. And the key is the word of God. The key is the word of God. The word of God enables our growth. The word of God convicts us of our sin. The word of God leads us closer to Christ. The word of God increases our knowledge of God in Christ. The word of God tells us how to think properly in this unbelieving world. The word of God gives us hope for the next world. The word of God shows us how the the church and its worship should be ordered. The word of God teaches us about what to expect of one another and how to deal with each other. The Word of God teaches us about the love of God in Christ and about our love that we ought to have for one another as we bear with one another and live within Christian community. The Word of God is that by which we live and breathe. The Word of God is our food. It's better for us, in fact, than bread. My family and I were talking about that this week, last week about the effect of the word of God in our lives and the benefit that it has for us. James will not just simply point to the Bible and say, look, here it is, now go and get to it. He doesn't do that. Uh, He doesn't just leave it up to our imaginations, but he, he tells us how we are to engage with the word and he gives us the the machinery the 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 means by which we open the word and make use of it and he's going to teach us three things about how we can do that he's going to speak about hearing the word he's going to speak about receiving the word and he's going to speak about doing the word you see that's how our uh, our text is easily sliced up into an outline this morning We are to go to the word of God, the implanted word, to distinctly respond to the word, hear it, receive it, and do it. And so it falls into those those three careful uh, portions of our outline, and the first of which is hearing. Uh, He says this in verses 19 and 20. uh, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, And slow to anger. Now he's speaking to beloved brethren, men and women whom he loves, who love him, who love Christ. They they share a commonality. He speaks to us. We who love Christ. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now we'll say something in a moment about the anger of God. But hearing, hearing is an important concept. It's a very, very important concept In, in, in human relationship we are to listen and to hear we all know when someone is hearing us we know when we are listening that if we are truly listening to someone who is speaking to us we are not going to respond immediately with an answer or a story or a statement of our own we're simply going to interact with what they just said So let's just tell you, let's just give you an example. Let's say that I tell you, I've had a very bad day today. And if you immediately say, well, let me tell you about how bad of a day I had, you didn't listen. You're not listening. You're not hearing. You're listening if you then engage with what he has said or what I have said. I had a really bad day today. Please tell me about your day. What made your day bad? How are you feeling right now? How can I pray for you? Now I'm listening, or now you're listening. Now you're hearing what I've just said. If you say, I had something happen to me this week, and you begin to tell me a story, and then I tell you, as soon as you're done, I'm anticipating, I have bated breath, and I'm just eager to go, as soon as you're done, and then you give me the punchline, it's all done, and then I say that you won't believe what happened to me last week. I wasn't listening. I'm not listening. I'm not hearing. 
And in similar fashion, and, and surely the word of God commands us to be listeners, to hear, to bear one another's burdens, to, to engage carefully in such a way that we demonstrate we love, we hear, we're reacting, we're responding, we're interacting with what each of us says. We, we should be hearers, listeners, good listeners, to whom we can cry and weep and rejoice and share in those, those emotional responses to the things that we endure in this world. But as it approaches the Word of God, we can do the same with the Word, with the Bible. We can read the Bible with certain, certain philosophical commitments in our own mind, and when we find a text that disagrees with what we think, we can justify our position and undermine the Word of God, can we not? and read in our own priorities, and eisegete into the text, meaning we put something that we have in our own mind into the text and justify, therefore, our own belief, rather than letting the word of God fall upon us, refresh us like rain, and form our thinking and our response as we interact with the word. We are to be listeners, to hear, we are to be hearers, James is assuming that we have been born again. He wants to guard us against always being infants in the Christian life, always being babies. And he's going to interact with that. And certainly Paul and Peter exhort us to maturity. We're told in Scripture that we are to crave the spiritual meat and and to leave the elemental things behind and, and press on to deeper things. In the Christian life, we should not be complacent. We should not be lazily content with our current position, but we should be desiring in our heart of hearts and praying continually that the longing of our heart would be, Lord, I want to labor and grow and increase in the knowledge of God and in Christ Jesus. I I don't want to be static in the Christian life. I want to grow. I want to see sin decrease, and I want to see righteousness increase. I want to see more of Jesus Christ in me and less of myself. I want my family to see and observe the gospel in my life and conduct in an increasing sense every day and every year. I want less of me and more of him. James has is raising a valid question. Maybe it's already occurred to us. How then do we move on from the new birth into new life? What's the connection between regeneration and sanctification? What's the connection between conversion and an increasing life of obedience and a principled life of obedience? We know that James has told us about the old and new nature and about desire and about temptation. They're locked in conflict. Our sins, our sinful desires are fighting against our desire to obey God. And the Bible's theology of good and evil is not like the Star Wars theology. Star Wars theology says good and evil exist together. They need to be in balance. The movie never explains why good and evil need to be in balance. I don't get that. It always troubles me. I want to see an imbalance. I want to see evil decrease and, and, and good increase. <clears throat> but that's, that's not a biblical theology of, uh, of the yin and the yang. It is not a biblical concept. God is good and all that he does is good. And he is at work in us, accomplishing all that is good, and he desires that good within us. And James has tell, told us exactly what Peter told us in, in former, our former study of that book. Peter told us that everything necessary for the Christian life, the power of God has granted to us. God's power is granted to us everything that pertains to the Christian life. And James is going to affirm that too. Every good and perfect gift is is from God. And he is the one who gives to us without measure. He is the one that we can pray to and say, I need wisdom. Will you increase wisdom to me? Will you help me? And he will. We learn that God is generous and that he gives without reproach. 
gives without reproach. The sheer availability of resources is extraordinary. And I think, frankly, we underestimate the significance of what of who and what God is and what he can do for us. We hear all the time about the discovery of new resources. This last week, I think they found uh, some new resource in the Gulf of Mexico of, of oil underneath the floor of the ocean, something like 11 million barrels of oil. I, I don't know how they can measure that. I don't understand that old concept. But if the Christian goes to the word of God and begins to study the character and the infinite nature of the God whom we serve, and the infinite goodness of God, we will discover that the resources of God are bottomless. They are unlimited. All that we require in the Christian life, all that is necessary to do all his holy will, is opened up to us if we merely ask. God is an infinite and good giver, and all that he gives enables and helps us to fight against the enemy, Satan in all his wiles. I was reading this morning in First Chronicles in the life of David, and David had enjoyed God's blessing in so many ways. God had poured out his grace, and he, he was enjoying a season of peace. And then it says in First Chronicles, I think 15 or 16, And Satan came to David and tempted him to number the people of God. And tens of thousands of Israelites died because of David's sin. That's not the only time David sinned. In the spring when kings go to war, where was David? On the top of his roof looking at Bathsheba. Well, the Bible is quite clear about the sinfulness of mankind. We are in great need of God's grace and his mercy, his help. In the the midst of great trials and temptations and sins and difficulty, what are we going to do? The short answer in dealing with all of this is, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so let every man be quick to hear. He brought us to life. He brought us to the new birth. He regenerated us. How? By the word of truth. You've come to faith in Christ through the Bible. Now, maybe you were led to faith through the profession of another believer, and you sat with them, and they explained the way of salvation. They did so. You might, they, you might be tempted to say, well, I, I, I didn't come to faith through the conviction of truth, but, but, but what did they share with you? What did they show you? What did their lives preach to you? All that the Word of God states. They shared with you Bible verses. They told you about the hope that they have, the reasonable hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And the reason why they share that, and what did they share, but the nature of the word of God. They told you about the Bible. And so you you were brought to faith by the word of truth. And so what should we do if, if initially we were brought to faith in Christ through the word? Shouldn't we already know that 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 growth in Christ comes by more of the word? steeping ourselves in the word of God. By the experience of conversion, we've realized that the word of the gospel matches up with the very nature of God, that the very nature of God is being refurbished within us by the spirit. So we were able to hear and to understand and respond to what we heard by the inner witness of the Spirit, the truth triggered a response within us. We believe, though we know that we were saved once and finally with no further need of conversion, still the same pattern remains for Christians. This is the way to grow. This is the way to deal with temptation. This is the way to resist sin. This is the way to live a life that pleases God and welcomes and, 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 and receives the blessing of God. It's funny, we have so many modern preachers preaching about the way of experience and receiving the blessing of God is to simply pray and prayer of Jabez, Lord, expand my tent, increase the amount of things that I have, give me greater resources, or it's somehow found in some obscure text or some text that needs greater explanation from the context and from skilled exegetes. 
basically say that if we believe God will give us all that we need, rather than giving us some odd mantra to simply proclaim to the clouds with the demand that God will pour out resources into our lives so we'll be rich, wealthy, and healthy. I don't ever hear those prosperity preachers talk about obedience. I don't ever hear them talk about sanctification. I don't hear them about talk about being going to the Word of God and listening, hearing the Word of God. I just hear them talking about praying this mantric sort of prayer with the expectation that God's going to pour out a blessing. But the Bible from beginning to end says that God blesses God blesses all those who, while depending utterly upon his grace, live for God and obey his word. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. The word of God triggers the response. The word of God corresponds to that God-given new nature that each of us has. The Word of God enables and teaches us the way of persevering and progressing in Christian life. When did you ever step forward in the Christian life or take a step, a daily step in maturity? When did you ever do so apart from the Word? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When did your faith increase? At any point in the course of your life, when you came to a new realization of the magnificence of God and the mercies of God and the infinity of God and, and, and the beauty of God. Always, when, when the word displayed, when the word spoke and the Holy Spirit who lives within us caused a connection with that same word, opened it to our understanding and led us forth. So when we hear the life-giving word of God, we are filled with the energy that stimulates us to action, to obedience. So we need to be quick to hear and listen and slow to speak. So when you're reading the Bible, the Bible doesn't really need your and my explanation. What it really needs is for you and me to simply sit, be still, be quiet, and listen. We need the Holy Spirit to work in conjunction with that word to make our consciences tender and our hearts tender and make us to be willing recipients of that word to cause the soil of our soul to not be hard and rocky and distracted such that as it rains upon us, it is it, it sloughs off. But rather we need the Holy Spirit to enable us and to help us to be a ready receptacle for the word of God. We wonder maybe why James isn't giving us, well, a Bible reading schedule, you know, which are good things. Uh, I, I follow my own schedule. I'm sure many of you follow schedules of your own daily reading, something like that. That would be really helpful if I just, if the Bible simply made this promise, if you just daily follow this Bible reading, each day will be filled with power. It'd be wonderful if we had that, but the Bible never really reduces anything to a formula except simply that the word of God is our life. James goes a little deeper and he says, look, read the Bible and be silent. Read the Bible and depend upon the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Read the Bible and listen. Hear it. There's no point really in reading the Bible and having schemes of, of reading and, and being able to say like a man who was one of the most ungodly men privately and yet was an elder in a church. And he bragged that he had read the Bible, I don't know, 16 times through. Well, that's great. And I, I felt like, wow, geez, I've been a Christian ever since my youngest days. And I don't think I've read the Bible 16 times through. But meanwhile, privately, that man was so ridiculously pagan. What's the point in having read the Bible 16 times through if your life is a demonstration of your paganness rather than the demonstration of the power of God. I knew a man who would brag to women that he met. He was single and he wanted to pick pick up some somebody and get married someday, and he would always open with this line, 
my name is so-and-so, and I have memorized 400 Bible verses. But privately, his life was a demonstration of sinfulness. I'm humbled by the fact that he, he memorized 400 Bible verses. I, I wish that I could say the same. But not as a point of bragging, but so that I could say, I love the word of God so much that I have memorized scripture and I've made it a point of my life. There's a difference between him and my uncle, uh, our uncle, Christine, Christine's and mine. We have an uncle, some of you know him, and he's made it a point of memorizing the Psalms. I think he's up to Psalm 100, which is extraordinary. And there's no, there's no question as to why he's done it. It's because he loves the Bible. And he loves to quote scripture for his own hearing. So when we come to the Bible, we're to hear the word. If you want to grow in the Christian life, you need to hear the word. It's, it's possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but, but to achieve no more than having moved our bookmarks. And really, this is merely reading the Bible, but not hearing. So we need to read the Bible, and we need to hear the Bible. John and I have been talking a little bit about that in these last few weeks, and just reading the Bible and seeking its power, its, its, its washing, and its, its renewal of us daily. And it's something that we struggle with. Sometimes we can read the Bible and we walk away and we think, sheesh, I got nothing from that today. I wish that my heart was tender enough to receive that word. Well, James is helping us a little bit. Listen to it a little better. Hear it a little better. It's saying to me this morning, hear the word. Uh, maybe the problem is sometimes, not always, but sometimes, and a Christian may go through a season where we read the Bible, we are faithfully praying, we are asking the Lord to help us, but we are still receiving little or nothing from it. Uh, I would tell you, continue. Just keep on keeping on. The Lord will re- bring refreshing rains. The Lord will renew you and, and restore the, the delight of the word of God to you. The Lord is faithful. But maybe we've been reading the Bible and the problem is ours because we haven't been listening and hearing. And James is discussing hearing. Anyone can read. How many of us have told our children, look, you're not listening to me. I've just said these things. You're not really hearing me because you don't even repeat back what I'm telling. And James is telling us that we need to listen to the word. We have to read God's word, not only with a heart that believes what it says, but also being convinced that if we just listen God will speak to us through his word. They have these signs. They've become very popular in recent times. God is still speaking. When did we ever believe that he he did stop? When did we ever believe that he stopped speaking? We know he's still speaking. We understand that. We believe that. We don't mean it in the same way that they do. But somehow the, the word of God changes with every new and subsequent generation. No. Or that God is changing. No. But we do believe that God is still speaking in his word. We need to read God's word, becoming, becoming convinced or being convinced that if we just listen, God will speak to us. And I wonder whether or not we do that in our worship as well, our public worship. When we come to worship, we leave and we go home and we say, I, you know, I, I don't know. The preaching wasn't all that good this morning, and I'm not sure what I got from what Pastor Stephen was saying. It seemed he was confused, and he, he, he uses some words that I don't understand. And, you know, he stumbles, and he's an imperfect preacher. I try to distill what I can from it, but Sunday there was nothing, there was nothing there for me this morning. Maybe you've said that, but I would ask you, yes, all of those things may be true, but did you pray and ask the Lord that while you come into the place of worship and you sing the word and you read the word and you hear the word and you you receive the word preached, did you ask the Holy Spirit to make that effectual for you? Have you been asking in the last 12 hours, Lord, be with me as I approach into the very sanctuary of God through Christ Lord, as I hear these things, as I receive the word, cause it to be a refreshment to me, to my soul, such that 
I realize anew that I cannot and will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Lord, let me learn a healthy dependence upon the word of God, unlike anything else. Let me know and love and discover new things, rich things, delightful, soul-delighting things that feed my soul and magnify and glorify my Savior. Let me know, let me understand and discover new bounds of your love. Let me see you, Lord, in your word this morning. I don't get anything out of worship. God says, well, you didn't ask. And maybe you're not listening. Meanwhile, you can pray for your pastor that I'll do better. God meets with his people. There's no stability in life without God. We need to continue to cry out that God would hear us. Seek shower of his grace and comfort, his presence, his care. Reveal his will in our lives so that we will not be embarrassed when we approach him one day and say, Lord, I I seem to be living with a deficiency of the word of God when God will simply answer and say, you, you didn't ask me and you haven't been listening. We need to listen to the word. Well, then something confronts us here because James then says that we are to not yield to anger. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What's anger got to do with listening to the word of God? Why in the world would he say that at this point? Well, James knows about our sinful responses. And I would ask you this morning, dear friend, have you ever been angry angry with the Lord? I know there are some preachers who think it's very popular to get out there and say, you can be angry with God, you can approach God, and you can yell at him and tell him all sorts of hateful, hurtful things. Well, no, no, you cannot. That would be a very foolish thing to do. You can reveal the fullness of your heart because he sees it all. But no, you do not have license to be angry with God. Shall the thing that is made be angry with its potter? That's the argument Paul has. Can we rise up against our creator and shake our fist at him? No. But James knows human nature and James is telling us, look, some of us, we fall into the pit of blaming God for our temptations and trials. But we need to remember what James said. God does not tempt. God is not the author of sin. But each of us, our own desires well up within us. If we fail to live the godly life, if we, if we embrace sin, if we've embraced sinful patterns in our lives, the fault is ours. Sometimes we blame God for all that happens to us. And just because everything seems to go against what we think God should be doing for us, and therefore we assume things of him, that he's unkind He delights in causing us difficulty and turning a deaf ear to his children. We accuse him in anger of not listening to us. But unless we've taken this passage to heart, we haven't been listening very well. James is saying we need to listen to God. James knows that never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. He knows we're prone to run on at the mouth with justifications over our own pious acts and our sinful embraces of things that are not permitted God's people. And really what we need to do is be listening. The Bible says a lot about people who don't listen. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. You know what that passage is telling me? Stephen, sometimes you need to shut up. Sometimes I I just need to shut my mouth and listen. My wife is saying, truer words, Stephen, have never been said. (laughs) Passages in Scripture abound. He who guards his lip guards his life. life, Guards his lips guards his life. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. 
Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Socrates said, even even worldly philosophers believe the same. He says, make sure your mind is in gear before your mouth is in motion. James tells us that anger is not just a mere motion, but that where it is, sin is there also, most often. Most of us would have to confess that holy anger of that which Christ mentioned in his word, it belongs to a state of sanctification that you and I are not really capable of yet in this life. So we need to abstain and abscond from anger Our anger doesn't change the righteous plan of God. Our anger won't change anything, nor will it bring about the righteousness of God. Rather, when it comes in, listening flies out. And so we should not be angry with God. Even our anger has to be brought under submission to the word of God. So we need to hear. We need to listen. But we also need to receive. Secondly, we need to receive the word. We're to expose ourselves to God's word by hearing it. We're to make our first response by receiving it. He tells us to prepare to receive it by putting away all filthiness, which that word in Greek is simply a word that refers to all all manner of filthiness in in this life. All the, the gunge and the garbage of life and the embrace of things that are tempting, but which are contrary to the will of God. And we are, to, we are to remove those things, to put them all off, and to do so with a proper attitude of meekness. And the result will be that our souls are saved. And that's what James says. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The word will save your soul. This We need to get this into our head. The word of God will save my soul. The word of God will replenish my understanding of grace. The word of God will replenish my understanding of salvation. The word of God will refresh me in regeneration. The word of God was implanted in my soul and led to everlasting life and ultimately faith in Jesus Christ. But the pleasures of this world and the things that I embrace in sin... They're not pleasurable. They do not refresh my soul. They do not implant new life. They do not lead to salvation and the saving of my soul. So why do I so often embrace it? In the Gospels, there are many examples of Christ healing people with illnesses and even death. And what does he do? He brings them into a new state of physical and spiritual wholeness. And that shows us the pattern that Christ has come to accomplish in us. Salvation's work was completed on the cross, but the full experience of it all will not be ours until Christ comes again, at least our full possession of that. But in every way, each day we can experience a greater and greater measure of what has been done for us by the Lord as we attend his word. It's possible to make our salvation experience a daily renewal every day should provide us with some fresh evidence that we are saved and we should be seeking the the fingerprints the evidences of our save of our salvation working out our salvation with fear and trembling every day that we should be seeking that new power that is at work within us that the lord would be progressing progressively making us whole and the, the power behind all of that is the word of god that means of grace that we so often take for granted. We need to read it, to listen to it, to hear it. James tells us that there's hard work to do. We have to get rid of weeds. And the weeds for the in the Christian's life are wickedness. The remains of wickedness. That they are... Filthy things. These are things left over in the in the world. Desires for pleasure. Uh, things that take away from our love of God. Things that tire us out on Saturday evenings so that we come on Sunday mornings and we've got nothing left. 
Things that lead us to sleep in an extra 10 or 15 minutes so that we are hurried in our devotions and we get very little spiritual benefit from it because we're not really able to listen while we're driving the car and distracted by a thousand other things. Listen and hear the word of God. Some of us, there are relationships with other people around us that are worldly. People that we're really not sharing the gospel with and we're really not showing them a gospel example. Hear James this morning. Put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Some of us need to end some worldly relationships that that are an awful lot of fun, but they're really not going anywhere. Or rededicate those relationships. Lord, I am no longer going to go with the ungodly where they want me to go. I'm no longer going to stand in the seat of the sinful, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. I'm no longer going to walk with those people. I'm no longer going to form relationships of deep friendship. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to carry on a relationship with the intent and I'm going to pray consistently about this that they too would know the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to know nothing anymore amongst them except Jesus Christ. I'm not going to talk about me. I'm not going to use filthy words. I'm not going to carry on filthy relationships. I'm going to talk about Christ. Some of us, we need to make some changes in our lives because we are very, very influenced by the worldly people around us. Maybe some of us need to simply cut off those relationships and say, Lord, I I love you, but this relationship is killing my soul. I go the way of the world so often, but I I want godly relationships in my life. And so maybe we need to open up our homes and bring in other people from the church, people that we really don't know very well. Bring them in. Let's talk about the word together. Let's 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 enjoy table fellowship on Sunday and add a little bit more water to the to the to, to the soup pot and 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 have people in and and talk about the Lord together and build relationships that that will be far more sanctifying in our lives. Some of us need to take seriously James and what he's saying here. James thirdly calls us to obey. <clears throat> We are to hear, we are to receive, we're also, lastly, to obey. We are to obey. There's there's a man in the mirror, and there's a believer with the word. We've already heard about the believer with the word. We we hear the word, we look into it, according to what he says here, and we persevere, and we act on the basis of receiving that word. But there's another example, a man who looks in a mirror, and he observes himself, he sees a very, his his own appearance, his image, He goes away and he forgets what he even looks like. James is saying, if you go to the Bible and you don't listen and receive it, you're like that man. And James is saying, don't be like that man. Don't be like that man. Prove yourself a doer of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James wants us to be people who open the word, hear it, receive it. James tells us that we have a choice of either deceiving ourselves or blessing ourselves. We deceive ourselves if we open the word and we walk away. If we forget it, we have no interest in it. In other words, if we're forgetting the word of God, then we have no interest in it. We don't have the Holy Spirit living within us, imparting that word to us. So the word stops right there. We can say we've memorized 40 or 400 verses, and we can say that we've read the Bible through 16 times, but it really doesn't matter. What about obeying the word? What about doing the word? Is it reforming my understanding about myself and God? Have I redirected my imagination, my eyes, and my thoughts so as to live according to the word of God? Am I continually making changes in my life so that I will obey the word and be what God has commanded me to be? <clears throat> a more literal description here of persevering would render the thought of continuing in the company of God's word all the time. This points out that by the, loving the Bible and believing the Bible and, and living according to the word and hearing the word is a daily and lifelong pursuit 
I'm convinced that if you're not reading the Bible, if you just started each day and you opened one Bible verse and then you wrote it down on a piece of paper, and you took that paper with you and you read it throughout the day on occasion when you got up for lunch, and then at the end of the night you took it out of your pocket, you read it, and then you threw it in the trash. I think you'd have more of the Bible in you in the end of a month than you would in so many of our endless pursuits and inconsistent pursuits of the Word of God. What we really need is to take that Word and to put it into our mind. So how are you going to put it into your mind? You need to work at it. We need to work at taking the Word of God into our mind. James calls it a very interesting thing here. He calls the Word the law of liberty. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, in other words, does it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The law of liberty. God has placed boundaries around your life, and they are legal obligations concerning the word of God. But they are liberty in the sense that they protect and preserve us. They are not restraints for you and for me to keep us away from the fun on the other side. They are restraints to keep the world out and enable us to walk in in, in that which God calls his blessing. The Apostle Paul tells us about that we are not saved by works. James isn't telling us we are saved or justified by our works. James tells us, tells us as Paul did, that the gospel establishes the law. James and Paul are teaching about the same thing, but just from different points in the timeline of salvation. Paul speaks about the beginnings of conversion and faith and regeneration. Well, James deals with a mature faith, someone who's already a Christian and is sure of their faith. And so James relates the gospel to the law because he knows that no word of the New Testament is given to us only in order that we may know truth, but all in order that we may do it. Mathematical truth or scientific truth doesn't affect our conduct really, but no individual can believe the gospel and all of the truth laid down within it without laying a masterful grip upon our life and influencing all that we do. And it is liberty in the sense that we are freed. When we became Christians, we were not freed from the obligations of the law, we were, free, we, were, we were freed from sin for obedience. You were liberated from sin and disobedience for obedience. We're not talking about you being justified by the law, but we are talking about living freely, living the, the life of blessedness in God, walking in a way that is pleasing to him, and discovering that new life in Christ and the washing of regeneration leads to a life of principled obedience. Increasingly so, little by little, day by day, in incremental amounts, God has given you the grace and strength to live for him. He has not only saved you, but he has given you everything that pertains to the Christian life so that you may live in a different way for him. So what can we say this morning, dear friends? We who are Christians, as we conclude, we need to be renewed in our understanding of the vitality of the word of God and in the, and, and be renewed in our joy that we have been given this wonderful book that shows us how to live a blessed, delightful life, a God-delighting life. Maybe some of us have lost a sense of the value of the word of God. And and we struggle with this. And what we're looking for is a new profound experience. There was a time when we had some glorious light-inducing experience where light just washed over us and the love of God thrilled our heart. That was a wonderful experience. But that is not the common experience of the Christian. The common daily experience of the Christian is to go to the word of God, to ask of the God who gives generously without reproach, and to say, Lord God, I desire to know more of you. I desire that my heart would be made afresh and 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 
and, and open soil, not open to all the suggestions of the world, but open to the word of God. I want to be a receptive soul. I want to be a sponge that will soak up the word. So teach me how to do that. And so we pray and we ask and we memorize and we commit to memory and, and we put things up on our, up, 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 up on our magnets, on our, on our refrigerators. And we put them over the toilet in the bathroom so that as we're sitting there every week or every day, and we can be reminded of a particular Bible verse that was a great encouragement. And we leave the bathroom with the benefit of not only having used the restroom, but also the benefit of having the word of God imparted to our thinking. I can't tell you how many times I have read that Bible verse that's in front of our upstairs toilet. That God is my strength and my portion forever. I remember receiving every every birthday and it seemed every month from from um, Stu Finlayson, an old Christian friend. He would write to me when I was in college and he would write the same Bible verse every time. And because he wrote that Bible verse on every card and letter he ever sent to me, I've not forgotten that Bible verse. I am certain that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's the verse. I know that verse because of Stu Finlayson, my old friend. Write scripture to one another. Send the word of God to each other. Quote it to each other. Let the word of God spill out of our lips. Let us be a church that delights in the word of God. Let each of us be, as, as, as Charles Spurgeon spoke of John Newton, he bled bibline. Let us, let, us, let us pour forth. If someone pokes us, that, that what would come out of us is the Bible. Let us be people who love the Bible, who treasure the Bible, who delight ourselves in the Bible. There's no easy formula for discovering new depths of the love of God, but except for that which the word of God displays. And that's what James is telling us about right now. Open the word, listen to it, be a hearer, and then receive it into your heart, and then go and do it. Living the Christian life is that simple. Uh, we are in absolute dependence upon God in doing it. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit and his continuing presence, abiding presence within us. But that's the Christian life in simplicity. Open the Bible, hear it, receive it, and then pray and ask the Lord to help you go do it. May God help us. Let's pray.